This is an ABC podcast. It's Monday today in Fitzroy, apparently. Although according to an article I was interrupted halfway through reading this morning, linear time is a construct we invented to make sense of the formlessness of human existence. So that puts a cat amongst the pigeons. Time, lately, has certainly fallen into itself. But to be honest, I didn't get to finish the article, so there's a big chance that's not the full story. It is 9am if you believe in time and I'm in the street putting our kitchen rubbish in the bin when I see my neighbour Gail who used to live in such a lovely street in Brighton and who is clutching the flimsy premise that brings her out here to speak to me a milk carton that she drops into her recycling bin I don't like these minor birds she's saying I think it's these trees they like. I've spoken to the council. I told them. I said, I don't know why you plant these dreadful plane trees anyway. They're constantly dropping those awful furry pods all over the place. Hideous for allergy sufferers. My daughter never visits in spring. Not that she can at the moment, but hey-ho. One of the things I like about Gail is that she doesn't require much of me. Although eventually she says... What have you done with your children, hmm? I don't admit to Gail from Brighton that I have given up already this morning. That time is probably a lie and I am wearing clothes I literally went to bed in. That the dishes remain in the sink and that I have already caved in to the children's nagging for screen time because half an hour of recrimination and squabbling just wasn't something I was prepared to absorb this early in the morning. Instead I say... Yes, good point. I'd better go see what they're up to. At this, she leans on the lid of her recycling bin conspiratorially and says, Just before you go, she says, About this old lady over the road business. Now, I had thought, when our eccentric neighbour Susanna moved away to live in the country, taking her birds and her lizard and her snake with her, that Gail might struggle by way of vicarious entertainment but she regularly updates me on things like development plans for the pub on the corner, three more stories. I said to the woman at the council, unless it's a very tall library, you will be hearing from me. And that new fellow at number 100 studies micro something or other, he tells me. I don't know what that is, but I can hazard a guess there is no sartorial component. And now she tells me about Beck, the health worker. Is she a nurse? A doctor? A radiologist? I have no idea. But she lives in the renovated apartment building with a sharp yellow door and her elderly mother lives in the adjoining apartment. It is she who is the subject of Gail's interest this morning. Gail describes her with the patronising concern of someone who is quite pleased not to be the oldest person in the street. Poor old chook, she says. All alone in that house, Greg was telling me. Greg is very concerned. She leans even closer, although her stage whisper could be heard from the other side of the street. Greg has been cooking for her. He has. I saw him leave something on our doorstep over the weekend. Now far be it from me... Far be it from her, 
Far be it from me, but I do wonder... She does wonder. I do wonder if she shouldn't be in some other kind of care situation. And Beck does work so much, have you noticed? Probably why she's single. Women these days have to work so hard just to keep afloat, and there's no time. There's simply no time these days for anything else. I mean, back when I was courting... And perhaps it's my urge to get back to my kids, or maybe it's that time is meaningless and mine is being filled with empty gossip about nice people who can't defend themselves. But I'm feeling myself getting all irritated when Gail does what Gail often does and surprises me. So I thought, perhaps a casserole, she says. Or a lasagna. God knows I could use something to do. And I do so love the neighbourliness of delivering a lasagna. She positions herself to deliver the next line theatrically. I've done all of Brighton, you know. And oh my stars, this is once more vintage sleight of hand from Gail from Brighton. This is tempting me to typecast her and then pulling the rug out from underneath me. We chat for a bit about this idea of hers, which will inevitably involve the entire street engaged in a strict timetable of meal preparation and distribution for Beck's mum, whether she likes it or not. And up the back of my mind, I am wondering if Gail has slightly the wrong end of the stick. I am remembering a few days ago when I came out unseen to get the mail. Greg was sitting on his balcony with his socked feet on the railing and Beck was on her tiny balcony. Only metres between them. Both of them having a chat. It's not that so much that I don't like. She was saying. It's the landscape descriptions, like, okay, we get it. And now I will describe a tree for three pages and oh, how interesting. The dirt is a deep red colour that eats away at the brooding male protagonist's subconscious. Oh, look, he's wordlessly squinting at the horizon again. You don't like descriptions? Descriptions are fine. They're fine. But if I read one more book where the landscape is described in the blurb as being almost a character... I definitely gave you the wrong book to start with. The landscape is almost a character in this boring book about a sad man who makes the wrong decisions very slowly for 400 pages. This is a searing analysis. And no books where the first two pages are maps either, thanks. These are very strict protocols. I went back inside after that. But the point is, maybe Beck's mum needs the entire street to make her lasagna, but maybe actually Greg is just making her food because he's getting to know them in the Gregest way possible, by making them food and having quiet arguments with them about literature. At midday, if you even believe in time, I still haven't showered, I haven't cleaned the dishes and I haven't shaken the lazy, surly irritation that has grown across my shoulders all morning. When I hear the soft thud that typically means somebody's left a parcel on the doorstep, I grab my keys and head out to fetch it. The kids are in the bathroom doing something ominous and quiet that almost certainly involves the concoction of potions and outside the street is empty but for parked cars and birds and a beetle crawling across a leaf near the package that has been left on the ground. I bend down to get it, but it's the beetle I'm watching, aware suddenly of another creature's consciousness in the universe, its tiny quick decisions, 
Surely linear time exists. How else do you make sense of this instinct to hurry? The bug skitters off under a brick and I am left holding a gum leaf, looking at its tiny veins that look like streams cutting away from a river on a map from the sky. I fold the leaf and put it in my pocket, a ritual I have inherited, I realise as I am doing it, from my parents. The smell of cracked eucalyptus briefly replacing my entire personality with a tiny memory. Me, maybe six years old, a carpet of gum leaves beneath my feet, looking at a leaf, a squiggle carved through it by, I had presumed, an insect. But a big kid, Raji, towering over me, tells me this leaf is special, this leaf has been walked on by a fairy. Me standing there, my sense of pride in having plucked this leaf out of millions, my not quite believing, his sincere confirmation, chiding me into credulity. All of this has the effect of making me suddenly aware of the unnerving length and breadth of the silence from my own children, and I'm about to head in with the package, vacuum bags pinch me, I'd hoped it was something fun, when I notice someone sitting in that tiny pink jelly bean of a car I've seen around lately. The woman who drives it was moving in up the road recently, and I think that's her in the car now, staring intently out the front window. I find myself lingering weirdly, wondering if she's okay. But of course she's okay. She's a grown adult in a parked car. She's probably talking on the phone. I head inside, bracing myself for whatever is going on in the bathroom. I've started making work calls in the car. I love the car. It's new and it's cute and it's just for me. And I bought it right after I signed the divorce papers. So anyway, right? I'm in the car trying to explain to this client about the court dates changing once again and he's getting pissed at me because of course he is. And I see in my peripheral vision this person out the front of one of the old houses kind of looking over. Turn away, lady. I think to myself, nothing to see here. I call Frank after that just to compare notes on a few things and when I look up again, the woman is nowhere to be seen. I have the same conversation with three different clients after that and so help me God. The way some of these blokes carry on, you'd think they were saints, not criminals. I look up again at the sound of children. I'm off the phone now and I've got a good view of these two little kids brother and sister exploding out the front of that woman's house, hurrying, holding a plastic bottle full of, what is that? Blue water? It's fizzing at the top, spewing liquid everywhere. The kids are squealing and laughing and spraying each other and, oh, here comes mum now, half desperate consternation, half amused disbelief, steering them towards the gutter with an armful of towels. Kids, come here please, kids. You can't help but smile. Kids! Oh, they're absolutely covered in water, these kids. Kids! I'm half out of the car by now, standing right there in front of these squealing monsters, emptying their bottle of whatever it is down the drain. We made a volcano. One of them says, Did you? I ask her. I look up at her mum and I don't know for just a fraction of a second if she recognises me. 
But of course she does. Spike? She says. And just like that, all of a sudden, I'm 19 again. I can't believe it's her at first. It's the woman from the jelly bean car. The one I saw moving into the apartment up the road. Only she's here, now, right in front of me, and she's Spike. Glorious, funny Spike. Spike with the hair everyone used to call her. Well, that hasn't changed. It's got it right here! Oh my god! I am, I mean, I can't even tell you. I'm half in pyjamas, my hair is a shambles. I'm standing there like an idiot, dripping with food dye and water and baking soda and God knows what else. Is that sand? Where did they get sand? And here's Spike. Just standing four metres away from me, my absolute, no exceptions, most hilarious friend ever, right through university. The one I found through a house hunting ad on the readings window. And here she is, talking to my ludicrous kids and looking at me from behind huge sunglasses. She takes them off for just a second and says, Well, this is ridiculous. And I go to give her a hug, but I stop and she looks, God, she looks so awkward. She's avoiding looking at me, I realise. Self-conscious, maybe, talking through the kids. I used to know your mum a long time ago. Oh, my God! Oh, what's that in there? Is that poison? It's not poisonous, is it? No! That's not poisonous. Not at all. It used to be Spike and her brother Andy and me. Right around this part of town, too. One towel between us at the Fitzroy pool, browsing for books in the deep blue chairs at Brunswick Street Books late at night, going to the Carlton Courthouse where students saw movies for free, all of us pitching in for Andy's ticket so he could watch Casablanca or Citizen Kane or Battleship Potemkin with us in the dark. I'm looking at her right now, Spike, talking to my children, and I'm thinking I should tell her I've followed her career over the years, and she's amazing. Of course she's amazing. She was always amazing. But when I look at her, the bricks of our house fill the lenses of her sunglasses, and I realise she might be annoyed at me for how the three of us lost touch. I'd be surprised if this wasn't some kind of record. Have you called the Guinness World Record people? The kids are enchanted, so clearly nothing much has changed vis-à-vis Spike being universally adored. I say, you're living up the road, right? You look exactly the same, Spike. How dare you? But my attempt at levity is wrong-footed. Not quite the same, she says. And then she's talking to the kids again. I like your car. Doesn't it look like it might be nice to eat? Please don't eat my car. I have to say this a lot to people. Please don't eat my car. (laughs) And after we go our separate ways... Do you know her? Mum. How do you know her? I like her hair. I'm hungry. My pants are wet. I usher the kids inside to have a bath because, honestly, the sight of them... No, I had a bath yesterday. I don't want a bath. I'm not having a bath with her. Today, I don't want a bath. And at the door, I watched Spike disappearing down the street and, oh, that felt so weird. Why was that so weird? Is it me? Is it her? Is this just how people are? 
How are people? How have I forgotten to have a normal conversation? I'm regretting everything I said and everything I didn't say. I wait at the door until she turns the corner. She doesn't look back once. Man, that was weird. I have to walk around the block one extra time just to have myself to myself after that. Wow. God, we used to laugh. Her kids look so much like her. It took my breath away. It's like a trick of nature. But talking to her felt too weird. I've been kind of holding it against her for this long. I didn't know what to do with my face, let alone what to say. So I talked to her kids instead. Ugh, what a coward. I let myself into Mum's flat. I couldn't tell her about Mum. Her face was so happy when she saw me. But I thought of telling her. I thought of Bloody Andy too, of course. It was always the three of us back in the day. Until it was the two of them when I went overseas. And then when I came back, it was nothing. She did try. A few times. She probably knows about Andy's busy life of reckless hedonism in the New Zealand ski fields. I put my stuff down on the bench in the kitchen and go to wash my hands. The water is warm and the view out Mum's little kitchen window is just as it always was. I might call Andy tonight. It's probably been too long. Something about my strange interaction with my old friend Spike tips my surly slump into a latent rage. I replay the scene in my head searching for clues and I come up with nothing. For some reason, the slow, lolloping expanse of my stupid, pointless day recoils within me and I become like that bug on the leaf, scurrying about trying to move things forward tidying and organising, stomping about, resentfully picking up the same dropped towels, hurling the same abandoned toys in the same stupid toy baskets and making absolutely no friends at all so that by the time Max comes home... Daddy's home! Daddy's home! He is so popular by comparison that I am surplus to requirements on the domestic front and he takes one look at me and says... Have you been outside today? And even that annoys me, and everything annoys me, and everyone is terrible, and I am terrible, and the world is terrible. Outside, two terrible lorikeets hurtle past me like drunk teenagers on an invisible roller coaster, and a terrible cat leaps up onto a terrible fence, and I am walking through Fitzroy, and I am thinking of the things I do not like. I don't like that I want a second take at a simple exchange with an old friend that should have been easy. I don't like that my entire social life is standing in the street shouting unfinished sentences at other people while trying to attend to 12 other matters simultaneously, or that domestic labour is unpaid, or the tiny slit between the lip of the stovetop and the bench that is utterly impossible to clean. I don't care who you are and what are you using anyway because I've tried everything. I hate how the corporate world dilutes words like passionate, which means passionate for heaven's sake, like how companies claim to be passionate about things or people have to say things on their CVs like 
I am passionate about compliance policy. I am passionate about event management. I am driven by a passion for capability enhancement across the transport sector. I'm furious at powerful people being paid staggering amounts of money to do nothing while the world burns and the stupid moths that eat my stupid clothes and the phrase devil's advocate because of all the people who need an advocate maybe choose literally anybody other than the devil and I hate all the stupid things I've ever said and all the people I've ever said them to for hearing them and I don't care what your favourite recipe is or where does really good ones I don't like cheesecake, it's like eating heavy, thick, wet soap and you cannot change my mind. But as I walk, I breathe the quiet Fitzroy evening into my chest and the stupid gleeful lorikeets screech at me all the way to Collingwood. An old lady skillfully peels an apple on her balcony with a fishing knife and frowns at me as I pass. A furious woman tapes a garbage bag over her smashed car window. Little turds. A bloke in a Whitlam's T-shirt says into his phone, Well, I don't know, but I tend to think shutting up might be the best option, Anton. And I'm not even sure now that things were all that weird with Spike today. And anyway, weird is fine, I suppose. The way things ended when she went overseas. Plus, I never knew how she felt about the Andy thing, which wasn't so much a thing at all, but who knows what she thinks about that, and fair enough too. The pair of them were like peas in a pod. Very fun peas. Slightly strange pod. Their mum lived around here somewhere, but I only met her once. These days, Andy's a snowboard instructor in New Zealand. He sent me a selfie on my birthday a few years back of him doing a thumbs up at the top of a cliff face. It could have been taken ten years earlier except for the hair. Spike always had the better hair. I glance at my phone. Time to head back. See, time does exist. Today me contains yesterday me. And me when I knew Spike and Andy. And me looking at a magic leaf and all the versions of me I've been before. I'm carrying them all with me. Like a leaf in my pocket. Tomorrow though. Tomorrow contains none of that. Not yet. And as I head back towards home, the evening darkens around me. I think of my kids and how when they greet me at the door, they will be shiny-faced and beaming as though I have been gone for days. And it will be so nice to see them. The Fitzroy Diaries was created on Wurundjeri land. It was written by Lauren Clark. The series editor was Sophie Townsend. The sound design was by Simon Branthwaite with studio production by Justine Sloan-Lees. Location recording was by Camilla Hanan. It stars Lauren Clark, Caroline Craig, L. Mandelis, Luke Ryan, Jing Hong Chan, Stuart Farrell, Stuart Thorne, Claire Wern, and Sofia Gregorovich. And of course, Claudia Clark Thorne. That's me. And me, Charles Clark Thorne. You also heard the voices of Elizabeth Kulas. Mike Williams, 
Russell Stapleton, Stephen Tilly, Michael Roper, Matt Willis, Graham Kidd, Yanni Adisalu, Anna Stendel, and the Murish, Waldron, and Howlett families. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you for listening (laughs) to this episode of Fitzroy Diaries. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.